is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is Lacey and Nicole from More Than Child's Play podcast. We are coming um, at you today with a great new episode. We are so excited to welcome our friend Megan Dodd. Megan, around here, is also known as Alex's mom. That's probably her most famous title. Um, We'd like to take a second just to tell you a little bit about Megan. She received her um, bachelor's in elementary education from Fairmont State University, a master's degree as a reading specialist from West Virginia University, also our alma mater, Go Mountaineers. Um, She's received an additional certification in administration from Frostburg State University. Megan um, has been employed as a teacher in the in the grades three to five range. She's worked as a reading specialist, a lead teacher, and she's currently employed officially as an assistant principal. Mm-hmm. Principal. Principal. I'm a principal. Oh, she's a principal. <laughs> I'm wrong. Say hi to Megan. She's a principal. <laughs> she was previously an assistant principal, and now she's boss. <laughs> um, in addition to those things that are technically her full-time job and um, obviously the important job of being Alex's mom, Megan is the co-founder of a really important nonprofit we're going to talk to you about today called Down Syndrome and Cancer Coalition. And she also serves as an administrator and supporter of Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network, which um, for some of you who are listening in and are part of the Down Syndrome community, you might know that as the Rockin' Moms. She is certainly a Rockin' Mom. Um, so that's a little bit about Megan. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm thanks, excited. Thanks for coming and having this important conversation with us. Um, March is an important month for Down Syndrome and, and your community, so we're excited to launch this podcast Um it's in this timely way for this month. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your journey with Alex? When did you find out he had Down syndrome? What was your pregnancy like? What was his his birth like? Just tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Or about Alex even first. Well, first, he's amazing. Yes, he is. Um, he's a pretty amazing kid, um, and I'm so lucky to be his mom. Um, I can remember, obviously, finding out that Alex uh, had Down syndrome. I had a prenatal diagnosis. Um, Alex is our only child, so it was my first and only pregnancy, and everything was was fine. It was great. It was. I felt I didn't have morning sickness. Um, I enjoyed feeling the kicks and turns of a growing baby in my belly, and painted the nursery and picked out names, and everything was just rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> and um, we went in for a scan. At 28 weeks, and we were called into the doctor's office, and we could tell that the tone was different. And at that point, the doctor said there were some abnormalities um, on the ultrasound, and he was referring us to a paleontologist and wanted us to have a level 2 ultrasound. We pushed him a little bit to try to find out what could be the worst case scenario, and the doctor really skirted that question and never, never really answered it. So we left there just, again, kind of being naive, first pregnancy, thinking, okay, it's no big deal. We were worried, but we just thought it wasn't a big deal. So we had a follow-up appointment with um, the level, the doctor that was going to um, do the level 2 ultrasound, and, and that was two weeks later. So we went in at 30 weeks, and I know, and I remember immediately the tone was very different from the moment we checked in to the to the technicians that met with us. Everything was just very different, and we were like, oh. And I remember we took two cars that day because we were thinking, oh, we'll just go for our ultrasound, and then we'll go back to work, and life will just go on as normal. But I could quickly tell that it was a very different appointment. 
So when the technician came in to do the ultrasound, she was like, please don't ask me any questions. I'm not allowed to talk to you. Hmm. Um, I'm just going to take a lot of pictures. Um, And so we just kind of sat there in silence. And the doctor came in after it was all over. And um, the first words out of her mouth were, there are multiple complications with your baby. And um, uh, she said, I'm going to start with um, the most severe, and I'm going to work my way down. And... Um, That's I, an interesting way to approach that. It was, it was a horrible day. Yeah, that's. that's <laughs> it was a horrible day. Um, we left that appointment not knowing if our baby would survive. Um, we left on a book about comfort care, um, and so we left um, in a in yeah. tears and. Um, we didn't know at that point. We didn't know if Alex had Down syndrome. Um, she was uncertain um, if he had Down syndrome or trisomy 18. Mm. Um, and so we, at that point, did an amniocentesis. Um, and three days later, she called and said, your baby has Down syndrome. And then that launched our journey of where we are today. Wow. So it's yeah. unfortunate that that I mean more than unfortunate that that towel that that was handled. In talking to other parents, have they had similar reactions or similar um, I guess experiences to being told that news? Is that common that it, you know of? Or? It is common. It is unfortunately very common that many people who receive a Down syndrome diagnosis have a, a negative um, experience, um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that mine is is super negative (laughs) because actually when she called, um, to tell us that it was down syndrome, um, her tone did change. Um, and she said, it's going to be okay. He's, he's going to have down syndrome and it's going to be okay. He's got a lot of medical problems, um, which we can talk about, but once you get through those medical complications, you know, your life is going to be okay. So in that regards, our tone did shift, but that's good, but it is not uncommon for families to have, negative um, diagnosis experiences. And that is the work um, of the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network, DSDN. Um, That is their mission. One of their main missions is to change that experience. And um, they work uh, tirelessly to educate medical professionals um, to do a better job at At providing um, the diagnosis of Down syndrome. When you were telling me about your ultrasound with our second daughter, um, they they mentioned something to me that the ultrasound looked funny, and if the next visit was the same, they might refer me to a specialist. And I am annoying, I guess, and really blunt and pressed and pressed and pressed. And they said something was off with her kidneys and the bridge of her nose, and they were concerned that maybe she had Down syndrome. And I said, well, then just send me now. Right. <laughs> Don't wait. Right. Just send me now. And when we left the specialist, they said they thought she didn't, but this I shouldn't be worried about this. Worse things could be happening. My husband could be in Afghanistan. Yeah. I, re- I still remember that. Right. And, of course, I didn't have the same experience. Right. But I remember, like, wow, what if? What if there was something really wrong? Is this the person who would be delivering right. this news to me right. in this way? There just wasn't a lot of empathy. And I do remember looking back at the 20-week ultrasound. Now I know there were soft markers on that at the 20-week ultrasound. But at the time, again, being naive and not knowing any better, I remember the, the technician talked about, at that point we thought it was a girl, Um so I remember they talked about her short femurs, and we laughed and said she's going to be short like her mom. And mm-hmm. she said something about her nose. Well, I kind of have a boxer nose, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so people say. And we laughed about that. She's going to look like her mom. Um, and there was I can't remember there was something else. And now looking back, I question if the technician wondered then at 20, me- 20 weeks, which yeah. is why they then invited me back at twenty eight weeks. Which is then which led that and um, so but yeah, yeah. so it when, was a very rough day. When when you came home from that rough day, did you did you have a network of moms to turn to? Did you have someone to talk to? No, to comfort you to answer your questions. No, no, I didn't. Um, what did you do when the doctor called us with three days later with the fish results that confirmed it was a Down syndrome diagnosis and not um, trisomy eighteen? 
um, I just immediately went to Google and started Googling uh, Down syndrome. and Probably a lot of people do that. Yeah. And you get all kinds, all kinds of stuff. You find good, some good bad. stuff, good, bad, and Wonderful, ugly. ugly. Yeah. So you find... You, and then, of course, you also hear all of the medical complications, which we knew that then became prevalent was, you know, what was his heart going to be like? What was, you know, what medical complications was he going to face? Um, and we knew that we would not be able to, to deliver him locally. So we had to make plans to, for, for what hospital he would be delivered at. And so we, we chose Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland for him to be. So then it was a lot of appointments to get to Baltimore. Um, there was a lot of NST test, the non-stress test, which we had, you know, multiple times just to make sure that he was progressing um, okay in utero. Um, but uh, my Google search led me a couple of different places, and I found um, one of the things I found was Kelly Hampton uh, had a blog. Uh, read it before. Yeah, um, about raising Nella, and I found her birth story. And I remember I found it in the late out hours of the night while I was alone, and I read Nella's birth story probably three times and cried my eyes out. Um, but it was the first time that I read something from someone who was feeling what I was feeling. Right. Um, and then I found other books um, about families who had raised children with Down syndrome. One of my favorites was A Good and Perfect Gift. I think it's by Julie Becker. We'll link all you, all these in our notes. That was one of my favorite books. Um, I read several books, but that one I always remember. Um, and I just, I tried to find blogs to, right. I just wanted to know what life was going to be like. Right. Um, and, and to connect with someone who knew, I think anytime you're going through anything, whether it's yourself or your family or your child or your job or whatever, you just want to belong right. to someone who knows how you feel. Right. And I do give Kelly Hampton a lot of credit because I devoured her blog. I went back and I, and I would look at her pictures and she's kind of known for her photography. And I just, I, I would look at how beautiful Nella was and look at them. They're at the beach and look at them. They're at the park and they're going, doing things they're that doing families things do. that families do. And so she was pivotal, pivotal, pivotal in my experience, um, of helping to give me a new vision for what my life would be like. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's really good. So tell us about Alex's, his birth, how he was as a baby, what what was all that like? Well, that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he, true Alex he came into the world um, fast and furious. So again, probably um, being a first-time mama, I didn't really know what labor was going to feel like, and we knew we had to drive to Baltimore two hours away, and I started labor at home, and I didn't really recognize it as labor. Um, I'm like, oh, something feels different, but it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel like, or like the movies, movies make yeah. it look, and um, it just it didn't feel that way, and we didn't want to drive. It was a Sunday afternoon, and we were like, well, we don't want to drive all the way to Baltimore and get turned away what if you're not really in labor it was um two weeks early so he was born at 38 weeks we found out at 30 weeks um that he was going to be born with down syndrome he was short amount of time i always say i had the best of both worlds because i had most of my pregnancy to just enjoy being pregnant and not fret and then but i had eight weeks to research um and come to terms with the diagnosis and really start to form that new vision for what our life was going to be like and what our family was going to be like and what our son was going to be like. That's a positive way to look at that. So I always say I had the best of both worlds. So so we finally decide at like 3 o'clock that we have to leave um, to go to Baltimore. And as we're about an hour into the drive, I know we're in at, that I'm in active labor. My water breaks, and I'm no longer able to speak. And we get there, and I kind of waddled up to the desk. And I'm like, the, the nurses later laughed and because I said, I think I might be in labor. <laughs> and um, they examined me, and they said, you are in labor. Um, and he was born an hour and a half later. Um, wow. I did not have time for epidural. any pain medications or an epidural and... Um, he was born an hour and a half later, and 
the room was filled with people. I remember they knew that he had Down syndrome. They knew we knew that he had duodenoatresia um, and then was going to need surgery. We didn't know about the quality of his heart or what his heart was going to be like. And I do remember uh, on the delivery when I was delivering him, I kind of flashed back to that experience of not knowing if he would survive because she had said this child might not survive the next ten weeks in utero, and this child might not survive delivery. And I remember we were when I was pushing, the doctor was said that his heart rate was dropping, and that uh, those words um, played in my mind that he might not survive delivery. And I just like get him out, do whatever you have to do to get him out. And she said, I can use suction if you want me to. And I said, do whatever you have to do to get him out because I kept thinking, what if he doesn't live? What if he doesn't live? And what if his if his heart? We didn't know what his the quality of his heart was going to be like. So she's like, okay, we're going to use the suction um, to help assist you to get him out. And of course, I felt relief at that point because I yeah. didn't have any pain medication. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, he's out. We're done. <laughs> and the room was just filled with people. And this nurse, you know, those nurses, oh, they are the they're front so lines good. and they're amazing. And she um, was so important in helping me like refocus and, and work on getting him out. And she said, can you hear him? And I said, I can't hear him. And she just yelled, everyone be quiet. So mom can hear the baby, and I could hear him oh, um, across the chills. room. So I knew that he oh. was uh, <laughs> that he was gonna be okay. Oh, or wow. he was in that moment. We, you know, we at least that made it through that. Like, okay. <laughs> okay, so now we're both crying. <laughs> you can't see. I'm us. trying not to, <laughs> but we're all um, yeah. huddled around the microphone like a campfire, crying about fresh babies and happy mamas, <laughs> which is crazy. So. So he was in the hospital, and he came home. Yep. We had a 22-day NICU stay, um, and that the NICU days are hard. The NICU days are, are very tough, um, but, but you get we got through it. So, yeah, we had surgery on day 12 of life for um, his duodenal atresia, which is um, an intestinal atresia in the, um, in the intestines. Um, so, yeah, surgery on day 12, and then um, learning to eat. Uh, and drink and then came home on day 22 yep. and what was it like coming home scared you were scared, scared out of my mind <laughs> I think every new mom is <laughs> yes. scared but this is a whole other level of scared. yeah it was just a level of scared I mean we had gotten in those 22 days we'd gotten so used to just nick you life it, it that becomes your new reality mm-hmm. of like our 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 days of just Getting up and going to the NICU and sitting with him, and I I've was, had parents say, "We're so used to the monitors. We love the monitors, right? Because they let us know our baby's okay. Right. And when we come home and they're not attached to anything, how will we know they're right. okay? Right. And I remember I had a nurse to say, not be monitored. Yeah, I had a nurse who would say, "Look at the baby." Look at the baby. <laughs> and we would look at the baby and be like, he's okay. So we were very, we were very nervous. We got used to that. I was pumping all the time and. Um, you know, the NICU days just become your kind of new routine. So, but it was great to be home, of course, and introduce him to our dog at the time. And yeah. then we could start having family come and um, and settle then into just what we imagined life would be like with a newborn. Right. Right. So did you, because you're driven. I, I know you and you're, you're driven and you're passionate and you're a planner. What, what, <laughs> like, how did you mentally go about like okay he's home and I'm going to be his not only his mom but his teacher because you have been his teacher so did you have like this is what I'm going to do or did you just take things as they came or I think in the early days I was like all about I'm going to do every therapy under the sun and I'm going to show him flashcards all the time and I'm going to talk to him all the time and um, you know I'm just going to work with him Every moment he's awake, and um, I, I definitely think I felt that. And he's gonna have—he's gonna be the best kid with Down syndrome ever, <laughs> you know. Which of course he is, in my opinion. Right. But um, over the course of the years, I've—I've I've relaxed, and I recognize that Alex is gonna do what Alex is gonna do when Alex is ready to do it. That's a quote from Rachel Coleman. Um, it's a um, good quote. So, um, I've, and obviously those therapies are there to help us and to guide us and to help him be the best that he can be. But he he also gets gets to be a kid. Right. Too. We have that conversation a lot with parents when we sit down 
in early intervention and look at an, a family service plan and talk about services. And we say, it's not that we couldn't come and see you more often, but you have to balance in the time that you actually get to do this fun stuff with him and the time that he just gets to play and learn through playing without someone hovering over him. Right. And I feel like sometimes that's underscored, the, right. the value of that. Um, but he did go through early intervention, and I can I can say um, proudly that I was his physical therapist um, at the end of his time in early intervention when his first therapist, um, lucky for me, moved. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm and I have HIPAA the HIPAA judges out there. I have permission yes, to share you that. Can share that. You but are a therapist. Tell us, and, and and you you can even say negatives. Don't feel bad because I'm here. What what. What was early intervention like? Like, if you were talking to a parent who was getting ready to do early intervention, what did you find helpful? What did you find annoying? What would you have changed if you had the ability to change it? Because I think that our audience is parents and therapists. Right. Um, So I think it's good as therapists to know, you know, what did that feel like as a parent? What can we do different? Well, it's different. I think it's different from state to state. So um, that's one thing I know. Um, But my experience was very positive. Um, I loved our therapy team and I I cried when he turned three. It was very bittersweet because it was like, (laughs) I was so excited that he was turning three, but then it was like, but I have to say goodbye to all of these amazing people that have been Mm -hmm. in our life for the last three years and who would would also cry when he would meet milestones. They would cry um, because they were so proud of him. So in the beginning, I remember I'd clean my house and you know, care. and that yeah, you got over that. You you get you care. get over that. I always say I didn't come for a clean house or a clean baby, just a baby. But in the beginning, I'd be like, oh, these people are coming and they're going to judge me and um, whether or not I'm being a good enough mom and what's my house? Do I have my laundry put away and that sort of thing? But I did get past that quickly. If it quickly. makes you feel better, you have the best art my husband will appreciate that <laughs> they have really cool art in their house so I never looked at the house was clean I was very distracted yeah. by the artwork <laughs> but it was we had a great experience and we um, forged what such wonderful relationships with them and we still keep in touch with with most of our therapists and he did well I mean it the only I can say it was challenging at times when you would match with the with a therapist that you didn't connect with yeah yeah. And we did have to, along the way, Switch. let therapist go. And that was always tough, like, because it wasn't personal, but maybe they just weren't the right match or their style wasn't the same style that right. you needed or that you wanted or appreciated. Um, and so those were difficult, um, but we were lucky in that we had a coordinator who kind of facilitated that for us, and um, it, was, it wasn't ever, um, like, we didn't have to say it or do it or anything. And the like therapists just, don't care. Yeah, yeah. We don't care. Well, I, I can speak for myself. And no. Yeah. yeah. We understand. It happens all the different. time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it happens yeah. all the time. It's like switching a hairdresser or. But the other thing that's really hard when they turn three is you, you go from being so involved in the therapies from the birth to three um, aspect and then they go to school and then you're not really involved. In yeah. The so what was that like? And, and even though you're involved in a different way, I would say you're still involved. Yes. I mean, you still keep, you get, you, you know, you get your notes, your progress notes or uh, that sort of thing on how they're um, making advances towards their goals. And, um, but it, the, the, the great thing the about the birth to three is that you would talk about ways we could incorporate things into our daily lives. So, like, Alex didn't walk until he was three years old. He was a late walker, which that's a whole other thing. But he read books before... Actually read. Because, you know, if you're a therapist and you're listening to this, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone thinks their kid can read and they've memorized whatever books. He phonetically could sound things out before he walked. I've never, ever had a kid who could do that. And I don't know if I ever will again. So he hits that page in my scrapbook of patients. All kids with Down syndrome have strengths and weaknesses. And that is one of his strengths. But gross motor and fine motor and and oral motor are not his. 
his strengths. Um, so um, I forget where I was going with that. Oh, other than just when you would be Switching. there, you would help yeah. us learn techniques of that we could apply in our home. That would be a part of our daily lives to help encourage walking or gross motor. Um, whereas now when he's in the school system, we don't necessarily get that. But it's also nice in some regards yeah. that... You have more free time to be a family, too, now. Right. Once he's home from school. Correct. Correct. And he is in... He is in kindergarten. Kindergarten now. Yep, here in Berkeley County. And how did that go? It's been great. It has been great. Um, He loves school. He loves school. He is in a typical kindergarten classroom in a general education classroom surrounded by typically developing peers all day long he has some pullouts for his support for his services like occupational therapy and speech and physical therapy but um he is thriving in his in his environment and um he we have a great team um that that love him and encourage him and they also take care of me when (laughs) i need it (laughs) so i and I think this would be, I'm imagining if I'm a parent listening at home with a two-year-old, let's imagine a two-year-old, and they're listening to you say, wow, he's in a typical classroom, fully integrated and included all day long. Do you feel like that's a combination of something you did before he went to school? Do you feel like that's a combination of a school that was receptive to his strengths and and his individual because every kid's different so not every kid is gonna you know they might need more support than that but like how did you get there i do think that the school being open to having him in their classroom is is key but but it was also his legal right that he has a right to be in that classroom um and 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 i know that he can make it in that classroom. So he might be different and he might have differences and have different needs and need some accommodations and modifications. But those are things that are required to help him succeed. And schools have an obligation to provide those supports to our students so that they can be successful. And that's um, important in the school systems. And it's good for everyone. There are studies For decades and decades, there are studies that students um, that go to school in an inclusive classroom on both sides um, Mm, academically mm -hmm. perform better. And that means Alex performs better when he's in and his peers Mm -hmm. perform academically better, not not. Not just emotionally and things they learn about empathy in our world, but they also perform better academically. And do you find in talking to other parents of children who have Down syndrome that Alex's situation at school is common? No. That's that's kind of where I was getting at with that. It is not common, unfortunately. Unfortunately, And as an educator and as an administrator, um, it breaks my heart that so many of my friends across the country um, face battles um, with their educational teams For for inclusion. So I'm very fortunate and very grateful that we have a school and a team that accepts him, and and I hope that it stays that way. You right. Because every year will be different, of course, as he and that gap could get bigger as the older he gets. Um, Do but, you have anything, any resources, or anything you know go to if if a parent, if just a community member, if a therapist, if a grandparent wanted to be an advocate for education on inclusion? Um, well, there's IDEA is the right. law, so I would say to Google um, and look up, you know, the rights under IDEA. Um, most states do have advocates that you can find, um, you know. Have you used advocates in the past? I haven't. just your own advocate because you have your background? I think and, because of my background. Yeah. And it, um, it's but if there what was a I did parent before. who wasn't a teacher, they might find that helpful. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. So, um, tell us a little bit. Alex has had some unexpected medical complications. Yep. yep. Tell us a little bit about about that. So, other than just you know the the NICU stay and the duodenal retrieval surgery that he had and all of that, um, we um, just shy of his fourth birthday, um, Alex was diagnosed with leukemia, and he was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, um, and that changed our lives forever and um, and was another obstacle that we had to overcome. And 
but Alex did it. You know, he overcame that obstacle, and we've been off of treatment. It'll be a year in April that he's been off of treatment. Um, So that'll be a big celebration. And um, so, yeah, it was another tough part of our journey. Yeah. Was it something, this might be a, I don't know, a weird question, but was it something that you had always worried about? Yes. People with Down syndrome are more prone to certain medical complications, such as heart defects. Um, They can be more prone to hypothyroidism or... Um, As they age, they can be more prone to develop Alzheimer's. And unfortunately, um, they are also more prone to develop blood cancers, um, specifically leukemias. Mm -hmm. So people with Down syndrome, ironically, are less likely to get tumors um, that are cancerous tumors. There are, it, it can happen, but it's very rare, um, but they are more likely to develop blood cancers. And that's one of the things when you find out your kid's going to mm-hmm. have Down syndrome, that's one of the things that you, they tell you, like, mm-hmm. these are all the things you need to check off. Um, and, oh, yeah, he might develop leukemia before the age of four. And you hear that and you think, and you, but you never forget it. You know that that's one of the risks. Um, but you just hope and that it's not going to happen to you. But right. unfortunately, for a portion of our community. Do you um, know how common it is? I think it's 1% of people with Down syndrome will develop it. The statistics are different. I, I, depending on what source you go to. Yeah, depending on. And do they know why? Like, the, is it something about the chromosome that... There's some really interesting research coming out of Colorado right now by uh, Dr. Espinoza. Okay. Um, and his theory is that it's an immune system reaction um, and that that could be part of the reason why they don't develop tumorous cancers, but it can also be why they are more likely to develop blood cancers. Mm. In fact, in thinking that their immune systems are basically in overdrive. And that this is early stage research that's coming out of Colorado, um, but I find it pretty fascinating. Yeah. But it is, um, unfortunately, it is one of the parts of our community, um, part of the Down syndrome community, that is just one of those hard pills to swallow. Yeah, uh, of course. So. After everything you've been through, and, yeah. and probably four is close to like you're hitting your stride for sure yeah. of typical life. And then it, it probably feels like an, a big boulder. It did. It, it, it did. Yep. It took the wind out of our sails for sure. Hmm. So when you were in the thick of his treatment and recovery, what saved you? If there's a mom listening to you and she's what, what helped? Of cancer? Yeah. Um, support system um you have fit you had good family around i had a very strong family and friends support um i had other again other moms other cancer moms of children with down syndrome that i communicated with regularly and that would be the case also about finding out he had down syndrome Mm -hmm. you know um, finding other moms that had walked that walk that Mm -hmm. knew what it was like to face a cancer diagnosis and in any cancer mom but having then a child with a developmental delay can complicate that. Some mm-hmm. children with Down syndrome um, are nonverbal or can have um, different reactions to different medications. And um, so finding someone, other moms that had went through that um, was definitely a, a saving grace for me. Um, but also just continuing to focus on Alex and mm-hmm. watching him and seeing him continue to thrive even despite the fact that he, he was, was so facing tough. chemotherapy yeah he was so tough yeah I've, i have a family member and another friend uh, a couple other friends sadly whose children have gone through cancer and treatments and they don't know each other but um they've all s- said separately it actually was doable when we were doing it because your fight your fighter mode kicks in and you just you're focused on the next treatment, yep. the next making the next to-do list, what the doctor needs you to do to get your kid through it. But all of them said when it was over, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was harder for me when it was over than when we were doing it. Yeah, I had a moment when it was all over. Um, again, of alone, I don't really like to show my weakness a lot right. of times, but when I'm alone, I, yeah. I face that. And I had the same thing happen where I was just overcome with emotion and 
um, and screamed into my pillow and like I can't believe we just went through two and a half years of treatment but yeah I mean knowing what was coming we were the kind of parents that we we ask a lot of questions we had our roadmaps which they give you um um, the doctors give you of the roadmap of the different phases of what to expect of the different chemotherapies and it's very specific like day one you're going to do this and it would be like a you know let's say it was a 48 day um, phase day one you're going to do this day two you're going to do this day three you're going to do this so, so as a planner did you find that helpful and that was helpful because I could just check it off the box and be like okay we've done that well, we've, one done step that, we've done that we've done that we've done that yeah wow I, I always find those comments from moms just inspiring is a weird word but it's it I get it like I get it as a mom how your first instinctual response is just to take care of your kid and not process your feelings till you know your kid's okay. Yeah. Well, I never wanted to trade places with someone as much as I want that the finding out that he had cancer. I mean, those days and that the very next day I just cried over his hospital bed and, you know, we just wanted to trade places with him. I wanted it to be me having to face this obstacle yeah. more than anything and um, I do remember being angry um and like, why did this have to happen to us after right. everything we've been through? Um, and a friend of mine who came to visit me in the hospital who has a very strong faith, I mean, I said to her, you are going to have to pray for me because I am too mad to pray. Yeah. And she said, I will pray for you. And eventually um, I came around and was able to well, pray. And sense, um, I was able to, you know, find a stronger faith in a lot of ways. And I think um, the obstacles that you face you come out the other side being better um, in some way because of it. It was the first time, um, I don't even, maybe once or twice I've ever done this in my life. When I found out Alex had cancer, I literally got on my knees by the side of my bed. Um, And, you know, when we have therapy kids, like, (laughs) there are kids, and I was a disaster. And I didn't even think about it. I'm like, oh, I'm like, Little house on the prairie praying here by my bed. I'm not done this. Like, what am I doing? This is this part is of my, serious. This is serious business, God. I'm on my knees without a kneeler. Um, but I, it it just hits you. Yeah. I mean, it just it really hits you. It was so, awful. The community was amazing. I mean, of course, you know, it just also I think showed how many lives Alex has touched yeah. in his time here. Um, and but yeah, he was amazing through it all I mean he sang he sang his way through chemotherapy (laughs) and told jokes and was known in the clinic for um, his jokes and um, we got through it day by day by day and we got through it but those experiences have led you to form a really important nonprofit. so can you share with our listeners a little bit about that because that's that's the good thing at the end of the yeah, story. Yeah, absolutely. So, the, the, unfortunately, because leukemia is a part of the Down syndrome community, it happens. There are families finding out, you know, every day that their kid that has Down syndrome has leukemia. And um, right after Alex was diagnosed with leukemia, um, a good friend of mine said, you need to talk to Becky Carey. Um, Becky Carey has a little girl named Tessa, and Tessa had leukemia a couple of years ago, and you need to talk to her. So she was one of those cancer moms that um, I called maybe day three or four of finding out that Alex had leukemia. Um, didn't know her, you know, but it was like, hey, I know your kid had had leukemia, and Alex has leukemia. Can I just talk to you? And I could call her at any time, text her at any time, and she would be there for me. And so as Alex and I started on the journey, and we started getting further along in our journey than another mom would be would find would hear those Call words. You. And so somebody would say, "Oh, you need to talk to Megan." And so then that mom would reach out to me on Facebook or would message me or text me, and and so then there I was being for her. Mm-hmm. And so Becky, um, she called me one day and she said. There's something I've always wanted to do ever since Tessa had leukemia, and um, I've never the timing's never been right. And I just think that you and I could partner up and and provide a service for those in our community. And I was like, yeah. Um, so she's like, I would like to start a nonprofit, and um, and so so we said, yeah, let's partner up and and let's do it. And it's it's 
in its infancy stage, but and but we have aspirations and goals to grow it. And, and right now, our outreach is, is really just to be um, a support system for those families and a place where they can get resources and where we can provide connections to other families. That's really great. So, yeah. And we'll certainly link. Yeah, we have yeah, any give you the information website. there. Um, so in our community, and we, we sort of tongue-in-cheek say, oh, you had you have a baby who has Down syndrome, you don't know what to do, you need to call Megan Dodd. <laughs> um, and so we're joking with her that we can now just send people this podcast because she's a busy lady, and I'm sure she'll still talk to people. No, yes. But when, when one of those moms calls you, what do you say? I usually say, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Um, and I have been so blessed on the journey to have had many cases where moms would come to me or and and I would get to say that to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually what I say. Um, and it's also okay to grieve and be sad and be mad. Um, and I and I do think it's a grieving process when you find out your kid is going to have Down syndrome. I think you have to, for me, and it may be different, everybody's experience is different, but for me, I had to grieve the loss of the child I thought I was going to raise. Makes sense. And I had to form a new vision of of the child I was actually going to raise. Um, So I, I tell moms it's okay to feel whatever emotion you need to feel. It doesn't mean you don't love your baby. Um, because I think sometimes we feel as moms that that what mm-hmm. that it doesn't mean you don't love your baby. You just have to form a new vision, but it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that baby is going to be the biggest blessing that you never knew you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, because nobody thinks they want a kid with Down syndrome, but it is the best blessing mm-hmm. that you could Maybe. ever imagine. I mean, Alex has taught me more in his seven years of life than anybody has taught me. And we have this song we sing, and I'm like, I get to be your mommy. Like, I am the one that gets to be his mom, and I get to, you know, see this world through his eyes. And he has taught me so much, not just about strength and bravery because of everything that he's faced, but about, you know, perseverance and having a good attitude and never giving up and um, and just about acceptance of, of, of all of us and patience (laughs) well and I think he's been a good teacher to other people too because I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a house to be a therapist to a three four week old baby and the parents just in telling me about their story or their worries or their questions and they'll say but do you know Alex and Alex's mom because Alex is doing so well that's so sweet so I think no it happens more than you think so I think his example of just looking when you have a baby and then you look at a seven-year-old who's going to school and carrying a backpack and going to birthday parties, that's reassurance yeah. to say, like, look at that. There's something to point at, someone to point at and say, that's possible. Right. You well, know? and it's there's no better, no better time to have a child with Down syndrome than now. The opportunities that are out there for people with Down syndrome are amazing. They're living better lives. They're going to college. They're getting jobs. They're getting married. Um, there's no better time. So any of those aspirations that you have for your child um, can also happen with your child with Down syndrome. And they all have. we all have different strengths and weaknesses. Not just people with Down syndrome have different strengths right. and weaknesses, but we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a matter of, you know, embracing their strengths and um, encouraging those strengths and, and accepting. And, mm-hmm. again, accepting everyone, no matter where they are um, in their individual journey. Right. And you do a lot of this advocacy work in our community and nationally and is is what you're talking with us about is this the message that you usually share when you're asked to go speak to a group or well, I don't really speak a whole lot I mean no. I, um, I haven't really spoken a lot but you speak to kids I speak to kids all the time <laughs> and I and I, I talk to a lot of moms and and I do that is the other thing I'll say is I always when a when a family or a new mom comes to me I, I try to immediately connect them with the Down syndrome diagnosis network which is DSDN um, and they those are the rock and those are the rock and moms and so that happened. Um, that's an amazing nonprofit that started when Alex was around a year old. Um, there was a group of us that f- 
found each other on Facebook, and we all had kids that were born in either 2012 or 2013. We kept the group small. It was about 150 of us, and it was a great place to ask questions about therapies. Like, hey, you know, my kid's not doing this yet, and my therapist is saying this. You know, what are you doing? And we were all around the world, um, moms raising our kids, and just as a place, or just a place to cry and say, oh, I'm so frustrated today because this happened and this happened and and that's going to happen mm-hmm. and the thing I know now is that's going to happen whether you have a kid with Down syndrome or yeah. that's going to happen or you just have, you a, have kid. a kid <laughs> right you're going to have those days but we had this really safe place that was private that we could trust each other and and then that then became the greater um, nonprofit of DSDN. And so do they still do sort of like a class of 2014, a they class do. of 2015? They do. That organi- That's like, it's, such a, it's almost like a sorority. It is. I am a sorority girl, and I have said before that it feels like that in a, a sor- sense. But And it, they have fun weekends. We have they, rock and mom retreats. They go on retreats. <laughs> they look really fun. They are. I'm almost a little they are. jealous. But they, serve, they now are serving about. 9,000 families um, worldwide. And so that is one of the things that I always try to immediately get a new mom connected with because that is one of the things that saved me in the Down syndrome journey as well as the cancer journey is finding other moms Mm -hmm. that had been through what I had been through, whether that was raising a kid with Down syndrome or whether that was having a kid with Down syndrome and leukemia. Um, So I always try to get new moms connected um, with that organization. And yeah, then they get to come on our retreats and they are a lot of fun that's so great <laughs> so we talked to, we talked a minute about alex's reading ability and how he read before he walked um i know you love literacy yeah because regardless of alex yeah. you are a reading specialist mm-hmm. is in general i mean any kids what's what for parents who want to instill that early love of literacy like you did with alex what do you suggest? Read to your children. <laughs> yeah. Read it's, to your children every silly, day. But a lot of times it doesn't happen. I know, but read to your children every day. Um, talk to your children about the books that you're reading to them. It can be just a little picture book, but you can talk about the sun is in the sky and the sun is yellow and gives us heat and helps our plants grow. You know, and just mm-hmm. as you're reading those books, just talk about the pictures and talk about the story. Um, and Alex just maybe just takes after his mom. I mean, I he love books, and he, he it was books. something that he was immediately drawn to. From the time he was a baby, he would want to look at books. And um, I don't know if he was just, that's just one of his things because that's innately who he is or if it's something that I did. But when he was a one-year-old, his birthday was a bookworm party because he was a bookworm even yeah. at a year of age. So we well, read together. Well, it's hard as a therapist. My mom was a teacher and was a librarian. And when I would try to get him to do some hard motor stuff, we have to read this book. Well, you how can you say no to that? Yeah. Like, of course we can read this book. <laughs> yes. I will never he's say gotten, no to the book. <laughs> he's gotten very good at negotiating now as a seven-year-old. Yeah, really? Well. But first, but first, but first is we're his favorite <laughs> negotiation. That's funny. I do remember, too, I read, and I think this is, was after Alex was born. It must have been, like, his first year of life. I'm trying to remember now the title of the book. I think it was Raising Down Syndrome Parenting 101, I think was the name of the book. But there was a whole chapter in there about teaching your children to read. And that was the first time that I was like, oh, Alex can learn to read. And um, and it was this... It was a whole chapter about how she taught her um, son to read. And the one thing she said is teach them to read before they go to kindergarten because the teachers will always hold high expectations. They will always say, wow, oh, that that's kid great can read. And as an educator and as a person who worked in the school systems, I'm like, yeah, that's spot on. They will always know that Alex can read and they'll always have high expectations for him. So I kind of was like, you are going to learn to read. And then he was naturally drawn to it, and I remember the day. And some kids might not. Some kids yeah. might be more motor. Correct. And not as drawn to literacy. Right. But so I always like to say that to, that to As parents. a bookworm, it was nice that you got a but kid it, who liked Yeah, it. and I can't wait for us to re- I know that one day he and I will read the same books, and we will have discussions have about them. Yeah. <laughs> There's well, no doubt in my that'll mind. That'll be fun. So what, el- what else do you think people need to know that are listening? Therapist, uh parents who are facing this similar journey parents who aren't facing this similar journey how can 
I mean, I, for those of, if there's parents out there, um, again, it's going to be okay um, day by day. Um, if you're in the throes of therapy, it's okay to relax. It's okay to breathe. It's okay to take a therapy break sometimes mm-hmm. because sometimes the kid needs that and sometimes the family needs that. Um, if you're um, if you're out there and you're not in the Down syndrome community, just be open and accepting of those with differences, whether that be a child with Down syndrome or a child with a different disability. Um, please don't don't use the R word. Um, oh, yeah. It's a very offensive word, and it just needs to go away from still, our... Do you find that a lot of people still do that? Stop. I wonder if I don't hear it or you don't hear it because we're therapists. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, We oh, still hear it. Yeah? We still hear it. I mean, not as often, but it's just, just, just remove it from your it's vocabulary. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. Um, and just, yeah, be open Be open to differences. And, and That's an important message. Yeah. And they can go to school, and they can play baseball, and they can dance and ride bikes and do everything else that you've ever imagined that any child would do, your child Mm -hmm. with Down syndrome can do as well. They might have more obstacles. They might encounter more obstacles. But our kids are really tough, too. Yeah, very tough. And and I find, too, even though there's more obstacles, there's... There's on the other side a counterbalance of unique blessings. It's sweeter. It is sweeter. It is sweeter. It is much sweeter. A a, a much higher appreciation for life. Yeah. We are. Naturally. Right. We are the lucky few. Yeah. And there's a whole hashtag out there and a tattoo. And we are are the lucky few. That Um, is true. And I get to be his mom. That's the best job you have. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. So we will link, Megan is just, I know she's going to send us a bunch of resources. And when we post this podcast, we'll post the resources as well. If you have any questions um, about the podcast or about any of the resources, feel free to engage with us on social media or wherever you see um, this podcast here. Thank you for taking time Thanks. to be with it was us. Fun. I know you're busy. And, it was so but, fun. But I really think... We all, all we hope that all of our podcasts will be helpful to someone, but this one is really important to us because we know a lot of specific people that it will be helpful to that we know and love and that we don't even know. Um, so I think I think it's important to share personal stories and you know you read blogs someone can listen to you going to work yeah. or working out. Yeah. I hope so. I hope it was helpful and I hope. I thank you for letting me share Alex's story. Sure. Um, keep in mind that you can always find us online at milestonesandmiracles.com. We happily ship one, two, three, just play with me all over the place. Um, there's some other great resources online um, for parents and for professionals. And um, we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in.